Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest independent startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe in partnership with Google for Startups. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high-growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There's no time to wait, so let's begin. Today's episode is brought to you by Twilio. Twilio is a cloud communications platform used by Uber, Airbnb, Booking.com, and many more. Twilio provides you building blocks to add messaging, voice, and video to your web and mobile applications, SMS, voice, WhatsApp, and now email with their acquisition of SendGrid. Twilio runs an amazing program for startups. Shout out to our friend, good friend, Brendan Yo. That includes $500 getting started credit and access to exclusive webinars made for startups and the full support of the Twilio Startups team. You can sign up now at twiliostartups.com slash startupgrind. Thank hey you all, Chris Jonu, welcome back. Welcome back. This is Startup Grind Global Podcast. And today, as always, bringing you the big monster episodes. This one is a throwback to the Startup Grind Global Conference that just passed in February 2020. Seems like so long ago, so long ago. And uh, we had a major fireside chat with Jennifer Tejada and uh, the CEO of PageDuty with John O'Farrell, general partner at Andreessen Horowitz. A couple of heavy hitters there on stage talking about how to break into new markets by breaking out of a niche. Nice topic. Enjoy. Why don't we start. Uh, can you give us a quick intro? I'm going to ask you about your background, but I thought I'd ask you first about PagerDuty. Sure. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar, but probably not everybody. So tell us what, what does PagerDuty do? Who are your customers? Give us a quick background on the business. Awesome. How many of you are familiar with PagerDuty? Anybody on call? All right, we got a couple of users in the audience. That's great. Um, and if you need to take a page, be our guest. Uh, so PagerDuty is a platform that helps developers and increasingly modern employees detect and orchestrate work, manage and respond to issues or opportunities that are unplanned, unpredictable, but business or mission critical. And it was essentially started by three co-founders, Andrew, Alex, and Baskar, who were students together in the computer science program at Waterloo University in Toronto. Uh, they had interned together at Amazon in the dot-com side of Amazon and had been sent on call early in their um, careers there and found it to be miserable. They were literally woken up all hours of the day and night with things breaking that they had no understanding of, no concept of, and it was all very manual. Uh, every time a new incident would appear, they would have to figure it out, try and figure out who in the organization they needed from an expertise perspective, and they thought, surely there's some way to bring this together and automate it, and that was the start of PagerDuty 10 years ago. Um, our success was built on having a very simple solution for very painful problem that not only affects businesses, because imagine if you're an e-commerce company or you're an entertainment company, your consumers 
have come to your web app or your mobile app to get an, uh, an amazing service and it doesn't go well, you can't transact to your shopping cart, et cetera, that consumer gives up on you. They give you about three minutes or less and then they give up on you and they usually don't come back. And yet you've spent hundreds or thousands of dollars to, to get that audience to your app, to your uh, brand and, and the customer experience that you were hoping to provide. Uh, for developers who now are on the front lines of the customer experience because they're increasingly building these brand experiences and they are responsible for ensuring that all of the infrastructure, cloud environments, um, systems and processes work perfectly so that that experience happens just the way you imagined it, they, all of that's out of their control. So when something does go wrong, it usually starts to impact the bottom line very quickly. We've increasingly moved from being a simple product that's very scalable and highly resilient to being a platform that starts to help people across an enterprise use software to detect issues or real-time opportunities to orchestrate cross-functional teams across geographies uh, and divisions within a business to get to solving a problem before the end consumer actually feels that problem. So moving from resolving things better to predicting and preventing challenges from happening. And likewise, if an unplanned or unpredictable opportunity pops up within the business, also capitalizing on that more quickly as well. Um, tell us, uh, give us a few examples of customers. Oh, we have a lot of awesome customers who I, I get very excited with. Yesterday, we were at Fox Studios, uh, 21st Century Fox, which was uh, recently acquired by Disney as a customer. We're, but we're, we're in the Fox Theater. And here we are in the Fox Theater, so, so how fitting. Uh, the Gap is another great customer, and The Gap leverages us not just within their IT organization, but throughout store ops. And we get really excited when someone from The Gap calls us and tells us that back to school and Christmas, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday went without a hitch uh, because of pager duty. So there's also a lot of planning and strategy involved in ensuring that you can manage the unplanned and unstructured work very effectively. Great, thank you. Um, let's talk about you a bit before we go back to pager duty. You uh, you joined pager duty in 2016, coming up on yeah four years four years this summer. Yeah, my I senior remember year in well. high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, before you joined, you, you had a really interesting career, which was uh, one of the things that attracted us to you as the ideal CEO for the company. Um, tell us a bit about your background, how you, how you got here. I think you're, a, you know, you're an icon for CEOs in general and female CEOs. Uh, yeah, so my background is a little non-traditional. I have a liberal arts degree from the University of Michigan where... Uh, I went to school with financial support. Um, I, I then worked for Procter & Gamble for several years in kind of classic consumer marketing, branding, and sales. I spent a lot of time within the retail channel scraping gum off the shelves of illustrious things like dairy coolers <laughs> to try and sell Sunny Delight. Um, and I, at the time, the web was kind of becoming a thing. And I thought, you know, I want to be part of this thing that I think could be transformational. But back then, it was just sort of this online billboard. It was like we took everything we did in the analog world and pasted it on the web and waited to see what would happen. Uh, so I went to work for a, a 
late stage supply chain automation software company, which was a kind of weird jump to go from consumer marketing and branding to supply chain. But what I loved about supply chain, kind of similar to what I love about PagerDuty and infrastructure is, you know, you start with a problem that has a fixed cost associated with it. You start to automate and innovate on every step in that process. And now from, you know, innovation to in the customer's hands, cost less, delivers more revenue, and it's very measurable and quantifiable. And that's one of the things that I, I love about enterprise software, and I think one of the things that the market also appreciates about it. So I'm so glad, like 25 years later, that now enterprise is sexy again. <laughs> yeah, for some of us it was always sexy, but uh, you're right, it's back in fashion. Um, you, uh, as I said, you joined us in 2016. Yeah. Um, a quick bit of background on, on hiring Jan. Um, we, uh, Andreessen Horowitz, we invested in, we did the Series A round for PagerDuty back in 2013, the beginning of 2013, so seven years ago now. And, um, Jen gave you a little bit of the background on the founders, and that they'd brought the company to a really um, exciting stage, super impressive how they'd really uh, grown this company on very little capital, uh, really appealing to the developer community, and uh, we knew we wanted to be in when uh, our due diligence revealed that every one of our portfolio companies without exception then was using PagerDuty. And it was like the, the best known company that nobody's ever heard of. And uh, so anyway, um, by 2016, it was very clear that uh, we had something real, that this could be a multi-billion dollar public company uh, if we executed well. And Alex Solomon, the, the then CEO, founder, um, uh, decided with the board, look, we need to bring somebody on board who will take this even faster and make it even bigger than I can as a first-time CEO. So we set out to hire a CEO. Um, we found Jan. Uh, there was nobody else who even came close in terms of background and fit. And uh, But we we ran references. I did, we did so many reference calls. We could not find anybody saying anything bad about this woman. I'm still working. It was actually very irritating. Um, like you, you want to have a balanced set of references, but we couldn't find anybody to do a, like a even mildly critical reference. So we said we have to have Jan, and she proved to be very difficult to hire because she had a lot of options. But anyway, we finally managed to close the deal over a glass of wine at the Village Pub. Not exactly, here, where all the big deals happen, the Village Pub. Yeah, so uh, that, that's the place to hire. Did you pay for the CEOs. wine? I hope you paid for it. Uh, I paid for it in some way. Okay. I, don't, I don't know if I paid <laughs> it or not. I think I did. But anyway, we digress a little, sorry, I digress. Um, tell us what attracted you to the company. It was e easy for us to be attracted to you as a CEO, but... Sure, well, I don't know you? about that, but it was... Um, so I had looked at a lot of late-stage companies, growth companies. I. I like to think I'm reasonably self-aware and I knew that going back to startup in a garage didn't make sense and at the same time I wanted to do something that would have an impact and I also wanted uh, to find a company that would help me change the industry as well. And uh, PagerDuty sort of ticked all those boxes. I mean, from a science perspective, and I think finding the right fit from a career and a company perspective is an art and a science. From a science perspective, it's a huge total addressable TAM. It, just incident management is a $25 billion total addressable market. If you look at all of the developers and IT individuals that are out there trying to manage these evolving technology ecosystems that are becoming more distributed through containerization and serverless and more complicated through the democratization of compute in the cloud. And so big total addressable market just with our core solution. And you know, at the time we were less than kind of 1% penetrated into that market. So I thought, good runway. Mm -hmm. Second thing was, 
there were a lot of things about the product that I viewed as platform-esque. And you know, this is a little bit of pattern recognition having been in supply chain and consumer and uh, more recently infrastructure, software, et cetera, where we have been collecting data on responders and how they behave, on events and signals coming off of infrastructure application environments, IoT devices, et cetera. And so how do those events storm and, and develop together into what can become an incident or a major opportunity workflows? We know a lot about agile workflows, and these are not workflows like the kind that start with a ticket and go through a command and control process and three weeks later someone replaces the printer cartridge. We're talking about workflows that are spontaneous bursts of immediate work to action something that is super urgent. So th there was all this data that had come to bear that had been stored in hot storage for 10 years and I thought there's got to be something that we can do to help move our customers from, like I said, being reactive and responding more efficiently and more effectively to starting to anticipate issues by leveraging that information using machine learning a little more effectively. So that was the vision that we could move from kind of reactive and responsive to proactive and predictive. And then the platform opportunity really came when I started talking to customers. And so, you know, like you, referencing is so, referencing is so much more important than interviewing because anybody can interview well. You learn a lot about people and companies when you do references. So I talked to more than 20 customers and probably twice that many users. I became very boring at cocktail parties trying to find developers and asking them about their PagerDuty experience. But what I learned was that people loved and trusted the product, which you almost never hear. Any, like, you know, I love my software product, says no one ever. But our users love PagerDuty because of the trust that we've built over the years. You will not get notified our page if there isn't an issue. There are no false positives. That's important when you've got to be woken up in the middle of the night. If half of the, you know, America is down because there's a big shared cloud service failing, PagerDuty will still be up and will still be guiding you on what you need to do and when you need to do it. And so with that trust comes a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of opportunity. Our customers started using PagerDuty for other forms of unplanned, spontaneous, but mission critical work like customer service or security or even finance, billing and collections, marketing, growth marketing, et cetera. And so the fact that the, the market and the business and the product presented a lot of opportunity was really important to me, but the most important thing was the culture. I mean, the reason that I leaned in and started to really diligence PagerDuty was the culture was very unique. You have these three Canadian dudes who are super open and uh, were willing to have someone come in and put their fingerprints on a culture that was already uh, quite inclusive and already innovative, and competitive, but also kind and transparent. And I felt like this was a place where I could not only be comfortable and be my best self, but it was a place where I could build on that culture to start to change the industry as well. And I, you know, anybody who tells you culture is not important has never run a business because culture is a strategic imperative uh, to success, whether it's how, what your customers expect from you or how your employees engage with you, et cetera. So, that culture has evolved over the years, but it started with this very strong kernel that, that came from our, our co-founders that I just can't understate how important that was. And the last thing was that Alex was ready. Uh, Alex you know, was the, the co-founder that was running the business at the time, and um, having, being a founder and having someone 
quote unquote, take over leading your business is a little bit like putting your baby up for adoption and sticking around to watch someone else parent it. Mm. It's like, it's not fun. And so, you know, you've got to go into that with really eyes wide open, I guess. And Alex has been a terrific partner in that transition, nice. giving me the autonomy to lead the business and shape the business over time, but also being a confidant and an advisor and, you know, not letting me trip or stumble or, you know, get confused by data that I'm seeing. He's, he's our historian. Uh, and he's also fantastic with customers. He's out in the field more than half the time now, advocating and evangelizing within our customer base. Beautiful. So um, our topic is breaking out of a niche to break into yeah. a market. So I think you've gone delivered really great background for that question. So you've got a really strong existing business. You've also been very focused on new products, new customer use cases, et cetera. H how do you walk and chew gum at the same time? How do you yeah. dominate your market and, and break out of what's a large market but a niche? It's though. really hard. And there's a lot of uh, risk taking involved because and if any of you uh, have read Jeffrey Moore, Crossing the Chasm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that book because it really describes uh, this challenge, the fact that you've got a really successful product that has tight product-to-market fit. We, in fact, created a category and lead that category. But we know that if we want to continue to grow the company, we had to identify Horizon 2 and Horizon 3 to drive growth. You cannot manufacture it, though. You have to start with, you know, your customer and how people use your product and how you leverage the trust that you've engendered to find a new avenue. And so for us, it was, it was a couple of things. One, it was adjacent products. So we already had people depending on us using our core solution, and there was a gap in the market around event management, event intelligence, and then incident sort of automation, automating the response for unplanned work. So that was the area we moved first. Uh, then we started to see these new personas and new use cases come up, and that was sort of where we moved second. But we, we never lost sight of the core. So we, all, we, we sort of recognize what role each product plays in our customer journey. So for instance, all of our customers start on the core product. We hadn't, didn't give them the choice to start on product three or product two or product one. That, that is our, the core PagerDuty uh, solution is the on-ramp for the platform, and then we build on that. And that's allowed us to continue to grow that strong base through our land and expand motion, which tends to be quite viral, but at the same time then sell and attach new products and services through more of a, um, a high, higher touch, kind of medium to high touch go-to-market motion where we leverage our sales uh, and growth teams. And then, you know, as the business has grown, starting to think about accountability and ownership. So who owns which P&L? So like our product team, when we first started experimenting with new products, we immediately put goals up on the board around the percentage of our net new ARR that would come from new products. Mm -hmm. And it was something the board pays attention to. And by the way, you know, I think you're coming up on your 30th board meeting. I was oh counting gosh. in my head. They've been so much fun. It was like three. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, the ownership for the responsibility for you get what you measure, making sure that you're getting contribution back from those product experiments that you run was, was super important. Looking at the underlying unit economics, so making sure that even as we add products and services, we're watching what happens to average revenue per user and average revenue per customer. Mm -hmm. um, not underestimating the power of a good or bad pricing strategy. So I think it, often we build products and we think of pricing later. And pricing is really 
It's, it's the front page of your packaging. It's often the way you communicate brand value or performance. So if you don't think of pricing kind of first and you think of it as a lagging indicator, that's problematic. So those were some of the things that, you know, that we did to make sure we could do both. And I will tell you, like, it's messy. It's, you know, it's not easy. So you've got to be prepared to stomach some of the challenges that come with it. So we have a minute left. Got a bunch of startup founders and, uh, and team members in the audience. So any parting words of advice for uh, those who are trying to break out of a niche and break into new markets while continuing to dominate their existing one, hopefully? One of my key learnings has been to not let the market position you. You need to position yourself. So like, I could actually argue that with a $25 billion TAM, it isn't a niche. Right? And the market would love to say, oh, that's just a little niche that's tucking. But no one ever believed we'd be this big, True. much less you know, where we, we're going. We did. we did. You did. You always believed since the very beginning. <laughs> uh, and so I think, you know, think about how you position yourselves. And oftentimes when we're creating a new category or we're disrupting an existing category, we have a tendency to say, well, we don't need to you know, position ourselves vis-a-vis -vis the old competition, et cetera, because this is brand new. We're redefining the category. Well, if you don't, someone else will. So think about how you're going to position yourself in the market vis-a-vis -vis your competition, the rest of the landscape, and think about where the market's going to be in five years and how you blaze a trail to get there and what you're going to do to deposition others along the way. Because that's part of you know, winning in, in, a, in a space that's constantly converging and changing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, any words of advice on how to bring the team along? Because you know, nobody ever said yeah. in a startup, I, I have lots of time on my hands, give me more stuff to do. Uh, how, how do you get the team to go along with you? You know, we, one of our values is people first. And I've learned in Silicon Valley with my, with my organizational behavior degree that people like to talk about the technology and the widgets and the, the, you know, all of the, the bells and whistles. But at the end of the day, it's the people and how engaged your people are and how mission-driven they feel and how purposeful they see their work that is going to determine whether you succeed or fail. And I can tell you, when our people are highly engaged and they feel like they, their, their voice is wanted and heard and they feel like they can impact decisions regarding their work, we perform better. And when we get away from that or we're less focused or we're not communicating as well as we could be, we, we don't perform as well. Mm -hmm. And so just never forget what it is that's actually going to make the difference for you. It's not going to be your technology. It's going to be the people who built that technology. It's going to be the people who market that technology and sell that technology. It may even be the people who manage your calendar or support your customers in the middle of the night when they're uh, you know, tweeting and chatting for help. So those people come ahead of everything else. Because the tech problems are easy. The people problems are harder. That's for sure. Um, we are out of time. I have no idea if we should just keep chatting here until they drag us off, but I'm happy to because I'm enjoying this. Yeah, personally. this is fun. So, what do you guys want to do? Um, <laughs> we'll keep chatting. So uh, the company went public in April. Uh, the company went April, public. There right? were some photos taken. April last year yeah. on the New York Exchange. Tell us a bit about that in our last uh, negative Yeah, I mean, you know, all of you see the pictures and the tweets and everything, but going public is a journey that started two and a half years ago. When you start to think about your path as a company, and going public is a lot of work. It's not just the, the effort to get your financials ready and get the team ready. It's that the way you make decisions once you're a public company looks a little different than the flexibility and that you have to run experiments and make decisions when you're private. And so we didn't take that decision lightly. 
We felt that going public would really help Booster, the PagerDuty brand. It's a silly name. Every adult that comes in contact with PagerDuty immediately tells us to change that name. Uh, and we haven't done it yet for a lot of good reasons, not the least of which it, it, it's a, got a deep connection to our user community. But um, we really felt like going public would really help connect us to the enterprise uh, companies that we're starting to serve. And enterprise is increasingly uh, growing and is the majority of where our revenue comes from. So uh, it's been fun to sort of get out into the market and not have to start with, well, we're PagerDuty. I know you never heard of us, and this is kind of what we do, because now we go see a CIO and we say, yeah, we're PagerDuty. He's like, yeah, I know. I know, 100 people in the company already use you, and I didn't even approve it uh, because we, we have a bottoms-up selling motion. But the IPO is, is, is the start of something amazing. Uh, it's, it's a little-known fact, but most companies grow 10x uh, post being public than they did prior uh, to being public. And yet, in, in this part of the world, we often talk about the IPO as an eg exit. Uh, in our company, we thought of the IPO as a wedding. It was the symbol of a brilliant relationship that we're building with our customers. It was, it's a long journey. You know, marriages go through all kinds of trials and tribulations and ups and downs, which I'm sure we will, but we anticipate to be around for a very, very long time. Uh, it has served to, to be a great um, uh, brand-building exercise for us. The, the enterprise pipeline you know, was strengthened by going public. Uh, being able to be transparent about our growth and our numbers has actually been helpful for us because people used to underestimate little old pager duty and so that doesn't happen anymore. Now you have to try and stop them from, you know, getting overly excited about it. Uh, but it's, it's, been a, it's been an incredible journey and at the same time, it's very much the same inside of pager duty. Our culture is still the same, the people are largely still the same, uh, the challenges with, within, you know, our customer community are still the same and the opportunity is probably, you know, big and getting bigger. But it was a lot of fun. It was a great uh, opportunity to look back on what we've done. We, we went public right after our 10th anniversary, so pretty good decade uh, on the part of PagerDuty. And it was, a, it was a lot of fun to also celebrate our very early employees, you know, who really took the biggest risk, uh, took the biggest swing to join PagerDuty and help us build PagerDuty. We also had customers join us on the New York Stock Exchange floor, which is amazing. A lot of them have been applying to work for us since doing that. But, um, but so that was fun to just, you know, when you're up on the podium at the New York Stock Exchange, you're literally directly above your team. And as the bell is ringing, you see this expression on people's face that is like some mix of joy, disbelief, relief, excitement, exhilaration. And uh, it's a moment that I, I won't forget in my lifetime. Yeah, it's really, really, really cool. They reset the uh, countdown clock to 20 minutes. Now it's back to zero. I think I thought they might be giving us another 20 minutes. Um, are you hiring? Some maybe. Some We're hiring. We're hiring and acquiring. So you know, thanks to the good folks at Andreessen and Bessemer and Excel, we have we raised a bit of money and we don't burn very much of it. So we are starting to think about. Uh, inorganic growth as a way to complement our product set and we're also always hiring great people and we've been very intentional about how we've built our workforce to be um, 
inclusive from the start, from an operational perspective. And just to give you an example of that, when we open a new office, uh, you know, when you, when you decide you're going to open a new location, you look at a lot of things like the cost of living and the cost of real estate and the access to talent, proximity to computer science programs and local universities. We look at the diversity index. We look, at, we look for communities where we can make a meaningful impact mm -hmm. on the community itself by creating access for underrepresented people who want to have careers in the tech industry, but also by getting to um, talent that may otherwise not be visible to us here in Silicon Valley or in New York City or somewhere that's very expensive to live. So this week, in fact, Monday, we opened our office uh, in Pont City in Atlanta, in Midtown. It's a very cool part of town near Pont City Markets and one of our most diverse teams in the company. And we are just really excited that we're going to be able to hire, I think, up to 400 people in that location before we have to expand again. And then, you know, we're also expanding overseas. So in the last two years, we've opened in uh, London and Sydney. We have a large organization in Toronto and um, all of our offices are cross-functional. So we don't have an engineering office in one city and a sales office in another city. We believe that it's good to bring the voice of the customer into every office. And since we did that, it's really shifted our culture from engineers building for engineers without, you know, kind of visibility of the different kinds of customers that we support to salespeople who now understand what incident response and on-call really looks like because they see their colleagues doing it, you know, when, when we have an unplanned issue at work. Sounds good. Well, we should probably give these people our stage back. I think so. so. Uh, I like holding a hostage. Uh, yeah, no, it's kind of fun. Awesome. Um, thanks very much, everybody, for coming, and uh, have a great call. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at an event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.